From the Tower of Babel to the disciples on the streets of Jerusalem, God upends our notions of power and control, and ushers in a new community through the gifts of the Spirit. Richard Helmer delivered this sermon at Church of Our Savior on Pentecost Sunday, May 27, 2007. In the name of the Spirit in our midst, Amen. So the Anglican Communion was in the news yet again this week. Goody. You probably heard, and I won't belabor the details today, suffice it to say there was a great deal made over who was invited and who wasn't to the great conference of Anglican bishops at Lambeth for the every 10-year gathering, which occurs next year. But honestly, Monty Python couldn't write it any better. So a bit more on the flippant side, it reminded me of situations in high school where there was great consideration given to who was popular enough to invite to certain parties. Some of us never were invited, at least to those parties, probably because we were considered too nerdy or too serious or not dressed properly or not associated with the right circles or not out for the right sports. But viewed from this angle, the Anglican communion right now looks pretty silly, doesn't it? There are more serious ramifications, as you can well imagine, but Lambeth is still 14 months away, so there will be much more to mull in the coming weeks, at least for our bishops, no doubt. I also want to talk today about another sort of silly image that came to mind as I was both considering the story of Babel from Genesis and considering the decisions getting made this week about who's in and who's out both stories remind me a bit like one of those Hanna-Barbera cartoons I grew up with. You probably know the ones I mean, those made-for-television, quick-off-the-easel cartoons before the advent of computer animation, where a character's body remained absolutely static, still as the background, and you could almost see the animator quickly scratching each frame of the eyes moving back and forth, or the mouth opening and closing, maybe almost in time with the audio. Yeah, one of those. I think the one I'm thinking of was He-Man. You remember He-Man? Some of you might. Which had a whole accompanying set of toys from Mattel, as I remember. Probably very expensive. And in almost every episode, there was a wonderful line in it that encapsulates just about everything going on, both in Babel and in the greater church this week. It's this line where He-Man grabs the two swords and puts them together and then yells, I have the power! Long before Genesis was written, Bedouins were sitting around fires under the night sky telling stories like the one about the Tower of Babel. It might almost have the quality of a simple children's tale to our educated Western ears, but it remains just as profound for us as for an ancient people living off the land and relying almost completely on oral tradition. The story of the Tower of Babel is, at its root, about human hubris. The desire to be in control. 
to be powerful. And probably for the nomadic people who once told this story, Babel was the shining example of the cities that were known for controlling lands far beyond their own borders, for marginalizing the wandering stock herders like the Bedouins, and raising up armies that were dangerous to just about everybody. We have our own Towers of Babel today, of course. Some are more obvious than others. I was struck yesterday while driving over the Bay Bridge, coming from a diocesan meeting, by the new edifice in the south of Market part of San Francisco going up. Maybe some of you have seen it. It's a great condominium complex soaring as high as seismic considerations dare allow. A colleague writing with me asked rather wistfully, who would want to be at the top of that when the next earthquake hits? But in all honesty, it was kind of a question tinged with a bit of bitterness because neither of us could dream to afford the view that would be in one of those condominiums at the top. The towers of Babel are also found in all the ways we lord it over each other. Whether it's our constant insistence on having it our way, militarily or economically or doctrinally in the church, or to be blunt, who gets invited and who doesn't to the parties with the power brokers. Beyond its ideological purpose to explain, perhaps to small children long ago, why there are so many languages in the world, the great ending of the story of the Tower of Babel serves as a reminder to us of how God responds to human hubris. God confounds it. When we raise our arms and declare like our great Simeon ancestors and even our contemporary cousins in the animal world, I have the power, God responds, oh yeah? We'll see about that. Juxtaposed against the ancient story of confused languages at the Tower of Babel is the story of Pentecost, the arrival of the Holy Spirit and the beginning of the church. Not necessarily the imperial church or the curia or the building of the church or the self-styled guardians of doctrine or the institution, but the true church. The church that holds the gospel at center where God is first and where God is at work. Where the breath of new life blows and people are moved to share great gifts for transforming hearts and healing all of creation. The divine irony is that the multiple languages that so confounded the people in the story of the Tower of Babel became the primary instrument through which the gospel is first shared at Pentecost. The same divine intervention that upsets the apple cart of human arrogance is the same intervention that brings healing, hope, and a new community. Mm -hmm. Today, we celebrate this new community of the spirit that is still breaking into our lives 2,000 years later. It is not always found in the institutional church. In fact, we should count ourselves fortunate when it is. In fact, the new community is everywhere and knows few boundaries. It is wherever the spirit is allowed to move. It is wherever God's creatures are freed from the bondage of lusting after power and control, wherever we have stopped playing God and where we are freed from both being oppressor and oppressed. 
It is where the breathing is easier and suffering is relieved. This is our primary vocation, our call as Christians. First and foremost, not to preserving the institutional church, but in the creating of space for the spirit to move. Of risking looking foolhardy just like the first disciples did at times, because we don't always play by the rules of power and control. And because we dare to confound in league with God, the places where life is being crushed under the weight of the towers of human arrogance. To laugh at the silliness of the lust after power and to be freed from the diabolical designs in which we all often, too often, indulge. And we will know this new community of the Spirit when we see it by the fruit that it produces. We are even offered a list by our spiritual ancestor, Paul, in his letter to the Galatians. It's one of my personal favorites in all of scripture. The fruit of the spirit, he writes, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It is with this fruit that the Spirit is conquering our indulgences and power and our self-made devices and designs. It is with this fruit, when we engage with the Spirit, that God in Christ has left us, that we conquer the despair and fear that so dominates the world. Love over hatred, joy over despair, peace over all forms of violence, Patience over our insatiable desire to have everything we want. Kindness over cold-heartedness. Faithfulness that insists on new life and relationship. Gentleness over our mean-spirited ways. And self-control. Well, I could quibble a bit with Paul here. After all, the first disciples who speak in tongues in today's reading from Acts are accused of being drunk but perhaps he means self-control of an unusual kind. Self-control at the very least that gives us the freedom from having to control and dominate others. Are you still working on these virtues? Good, so am I. Better yet, God is still working on them inside each of us. These are the places where the Spirit has touched us and is transforming us. It is where the new community, what Jesus referred to as the kingdom of God, begins in each of us. And beyond us, it is where the true church is taking root and burrowing deep down into the rich soil of life with God. These fruits of the Spirit are our standards against all the darkness of our lives in the world. They are where God and Christ shines forth most brightly and where life is allowed to flourish. And so as we begin looking forward as a church, regardless of what goes on in the Anglican communion or what new towers are built to edify human prowess, I urge you to always keep watch for and cultivate and nurture that new community wherever you find it. Here at Church of Our Savior, out there in the workplace, at home with family and friends, 
and simply in your own heart, where the still, small voice and the true power of the Spirit wrestles to breathe free, that you may be freed to become utterly reliant on the one who created you, that we all may be free to be the gifted creatures of God that we were made to be, reflections of the divine wonder. Amen. listening to the sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907. Or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley, dot org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to be able to greet you in person very soon.